In case there is a loss in cabin pressure, yellow oxygen masks will deploy from the ceiling compartment located above you. Please secure your own mask before assisting others around you. Hi, I'm Ridwin. I'm your friendly neighborhood widow. Today is hopefully a soothing day, or it could just be a day like any other day. I'm recording in the middle of a rainy night, which means that there is droplets of water hitting my window. And if you can catch this through this microphone, I do hope that you're listening to this podcast from the comfort of your bed and it is going to rock you to sleep. Thanks for joining again. And this episode is called Me First. So before we get started, turn up your volume for the reading of the warning label. Warning! Subscribing to this podcast can expose you to segments and conversations about love, loss, physical and emotional abuse, mental health, and resilience. This podcast contains raw and unfiltered thoughts and feelings from a domestic violence surviving widow. The side effects may be unexpected anger, inspiration, self-esteem boost, and laughter so strong you may pee your pants. An open mind and a change of undergarments are suggested, but not required. And if you need to, please consult a therapist before listening. Thanks for joining. There are an incredible amount of books covering specifically loss, grief, widowhood, and any other topics requiring self-help and self-motivation. So many plus one, the one I wrote you last year, Not a Widow's Handbook. It is seven chapters on the life of the domestic violence surviving widow. Between the day I finally write you this emotional piece of self-love jerky and the first day I was struck by the man I love, there are over eight years. Now, is your first remark, I still can't believe you stayed there? Yeah. Mine too. If you've listened to episode three, Why I Stayed, I talk about this unorthodox love story, which started just like your favorite romantic movie, you know, before making it to the most watched Lifetime Movie Network Christmas Marathon list. It was just that kind of story. I can't say that I ever knew the healthy balance of love and friendship for myself or others. I may have better understanding now, but back then I could not tell you that I had a good grasp on these concepts. Love, friendship, self-value, self-worth. As a matter of fact, my earliest memories of having feelings of any kind was met with, what do you know? You're a child. You don't know life. What do you know about sadness? Great question. What do you know about sadness? But, you know, eventually it becomes your mantra. At least it's become my mantra. Before ever expressing an emotion or expressing a feeling, I ask myself a version of that statement. I kind of block myself in the middle of expressing myself And a version of that statement just plays back. What do I know? Looking at the timeline of my life, I grew to resent that statement on my better days, but then I will accept it fully and take it on like it's mine on my worst days. What did I know about marriage? I was just a child. Ah, no wonder why it failed. Totally my fault, right? What did I know about widowhood? I was just a child. No matter, it's not miserable enough. Yeah, you heard that right. I'm not sure what your take on widowhood is, but in my earlier days as a widow, my counsel, and I call that the people in my life at that time, wasn't so sure either. What a lot of us agreed on is that I did not act as a widow should. 
At least I agreed with being told that. I went out to bars. I drank alcohol. I went out on friend trips, vacation. I randomly got in my car and drove nine hours away to North Carolina. I went out on dates. I kissed boys. I was sexually active. I expressed joy. I made morbid jokes about being a widow. What did I know? I was just a child. More than what did I know? I was just a child. I was a disappointment. Widowhood is not meant to be glamorous because it is directly tied to death. What is unfortunate is that all of what I have just listed is really a dollar store carnival box of red flags. Widowhood was agonizing. No bar was ever loud enough and no bourbon was ever strong enough. No vacation was ever the right escape and no date ever brought me just the right validation. Kissing did not make it feel any better and sex just seemed to chip away at the very last bit of my souls. Or I have one soul. <laughs> at the very last bit of my soul that I had left. And while I could never say this out loud to the people who love me, you know, my counsel, you know, because of shame, I try to hold on to the little things that just brought me joys and made the light of my life. And just, I wanted to show that I am okay. So please stop telling me how to grieve and please stop telling me how to be a widow. I'm okay, hello, let it go. But it didn't work. Like I mentioned three episodes ago, I was still stuck in living up to other people's expectations of widowhood. Spoken expectations, unspoken expectations, all that wrapped into one big list of expectations that I tried so hard to live up to. What I think is incredible is that I was trying so hard to live up to the expectations of widowhood that someone who had never walked in my shoe, who's never experienced something like this in their lives had drawn out for me in the name of love. And I could not dare to embarrass anyone, not with these horrible details, not with the black eye or the suicide or the domestic violence or just the death, just flat out in general. Widowhood was just so ugly then. And it was ugly, it was sad, it was... It was full of people, full of opinions, yet it was lonely and it was terrible, but just terrible on my liver. In October 2016, something moved me to attend a youth conference in Sydney, Ohio. This conference has been available to me since I was, since I've moved to the U.S. as a teen girl and there was always a reason why I didn't want to go, I couldn't go, and maybe back then it was, it wasn't cool not that the conference itself wasn't cool, but I was in a place in my life where it just, it wasn't cool to be the Christian in the room. At least that's how I felt back then. So, I mean, I could list off reasons why I never felt like this conference would help. However, this time in 2016, in October, I wanted that youth conference. And it was very much the last year that I could make it because of my age. Because, you know, I wasn't going to be youth anymore. I had no idea how that weekend was going to both reprimand me on my current way of love and loving myself and just love in general, but it would also put me on a path towards just my own style of widowhood. Because it's true, I was doing widowhood all wrong. I really was. I was giving into misery. 
I expected everyone else outside of my skin to have the solution for me. I spent every day trying my hardest to live up to someone else's expectations. And when it failed, I just bourbon about it instead of really looking into a different perspective and looking from a different perspective, I should say, and looking into a solution. One of the questions that struck me a lot on this retreat out of everything I've heard that weekend, one of the speakers said in a, in a teaching about self-love and, and valuing yourself and understanding who you are, he asked a question, what does God say about you? Well, great question. So I want to dog it out and I had to really go look and, and find out like really great question. Like, what does he say about me? Well, According to God, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am righteous and I'm not to conform to this world, but instead I want to be transformed by the renewal of my mind. He says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Future and hope wasn't something I had then. I was very much in a very miserable present and I had to change that. So I thought, cool, I can do that. I can change that. I can see myself the way God sees me instead of trying to be this hybrid version of what everyone else thinks I should be. But where do I start? Where does it start? How do I get there? How do I become your friendly neighborhood widow from your miserable, sad drinks way too much bourbon and IPAs, widow. Well, if I had to listen to that speaker, I would say by walking into my purpose, which truly I doubt was ever self-loathing, fear, promiscuity, and or pain. Have you ever done this? Because this is something that I do. Even now, some days, you know, this is something that I still have the ability to do and I have to catch myself in the middle of doing that. Where you're you're, you're sitting in a room and you're hearing something super insightful, something that's gonna change your life for the better, something that really shows you your value, something that reminds you who you are, right? And you do that thing that your insecurities push you to do when you have to be strong, when it's time to be strong, when you have to be stern with yourself, your insecurities kind of like jump forward and you get defensive, but in the worst of ways, at least I do, but you don't get it. I was abused. I was cheated on. I'm a mess. And most importantly, I'm afraid of my truth sitting outside of my skin where everyone can see. So I tell myself that a version of that same statement from back when I was a little me, what do I know? I'm just a kid. The easiest part about being a domestic violence surviving widow is the part of yourself that you put in a room, in a place, in a statement, in the area, in the I don't even know what the word I'm really looking for here, but the part of you that you put somewhere else outside of you where you're not responsible, where someone else can manipulate it and you can bring it back to yourself and you can't have you to blame because there are so many other adults to blame about it because the because society is a certain way and because people are a certain way and you're just a um, product of that and a victim of that. More adults to blame for my misery I have to ask myself, Nidween, why 
do you do this? There is a possibility for you to walk in your purpose. And there's a million, there are a million reasons why you shouldn't see yourself as the negative connotation of this title. Can you relate? The survivor's guilt, this feeling of guilt because you survived a life-threatening situation when someone else didn't. It's actually a common reaction to traumatic events and it is a symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a spot, it's a room I don't want to be in and I don't have to be in. It's a room that every moment of any action towards me or any action in my presence, I have to choose not to walk into before reacting. You're staring at the sign that says widowhood is just miserable and all these other things and you don't know how to act like a proper widow and widows don't do this and widows don't do that. These are like paraphrasing from actual real conversations. And you say, but I, I want to be transformed. I want all of these stigmas to go away. I want to take that word, widow. I will redefine it. I will tell my truth. I will allow it to set me free. And I will redefine these specific words. Domestic violence surviving widow. In spite of anybody else's comfort level, if it will bless me, if it will make me a better person, if it will teach me to overcome my fears, I will do widowhood on my own terms in spite of, insert worst case scenario here, there is an incredible amount of emotional red tape. Figuring out that it was a choice to be blinded by it and to be stopped by it, it was already one big, one huge step. But you have to agree that when you're staring at this emotional red tape, someone committed suicide, someone died, someone was hurting, you can't just, you can't speak ill of the dead. We don't speak ill of the dead. That's the emotional red tape. And on the other side of it is, I want to heal and I want to transform from being an abused woman. I want to heal and I want to transform from having low self-esteem. I want to heal and I want to transform from this negative part of my life and my marriage. On the other side of the emotional red tape, on the other side of the commentary, you owe it to yourself to see your healing through in spite of survivor's guilt. You owe it to yourself to break these barriers. I owe it to myself. And yes, someone will say, if you don't act like a good widow does, then you did not love him enough or you did not love him at all. If you don't act or speak like a good widow does, then you're victimizing yourself. You're speaking ill of the dead. If you don't act like I said, me, not a widow, not someone in your shoes, not someone within your experience, not someone who knows how you feel daily, not someone who knows how many times you look in the mirror and have to remind yourself that today is still a good day to be alive. Me, as someone on the outside of your skin, not feeling the agony, not hungover from trying to drown your negative feelings and your terrible memories. Me, as someone who doesn't know what it's like to be stabbed by the person you love the most on this planet. 
me. I may give you a list of expectations. But on the other side of that emotional red tape, there is your healing. And that is what you need to break through and go grab. The other stuff, waking up in the morning, making that research, starting that business, you know, getting that promotion. Are you doing this for the person who's still afraid? Or are you doing this for the person that's broken through that tape and said, this is my story? Who do you do this for? So I asked myself that question. Who am I doing this for? I've been working my butt off. I will be heartbroken, but I won't be broke. But now I'm still heartbroken. And no matter how much unbroke I am, my heart is still broken. And Maya Angelou talks about the greatest agony be having a story inside of you that you just can't tell. And so what am I doing? Succeeding for the eyes of other or succeeding towards healing? I find that in widowhood, trying to pick and choose what is yours and what is for others is a dangerous game of now I'm healing, now I'm drunk, which really only hurts you in the long run. The airplane mask theory. Does it bless you? Are you content? Are you healing? I was not going to spend widowhood holding back my breath and adjusting everyone else's mask while slowly fading into emotional death. I worked hard and I deserved all good things that were available for me on this earth. I deserve to tell my story, to name my abuser and to kickstart my healing. I deserve to work hard and paint, and paint beach towns red and kiss a few frogs along the way. I deserve to tell the truth and to allow it to set me free. I deserve to choose me first and to allow the world around me to, ju- to adjust and adapt. Because widowhood is a personal journey. It is personal to you. It is personal to me. And it is very unique to the widowed. If you're curious on what widowhood means for me these days, it's mostly cooking and staying safe while practicing smart social distancing when I'm not at work. You can check out my quarantine recipes on Instagram if you get a little hungry while you're in confinement. I'm at your friendly neighborhood widow. Hit the link in my bio to access my book, Not a Widow's Handbook, or to fill out the form to tell me which specific subject you like to dig deeper into. In 10 days, we'll talk about what the motivation behind all those set expectations are, what we choose to ignore, the things I just told you, all of these things I believe are mostly grief. In 10 days, I plan to go a little deeper into grief, in the grief in all of us. Until then, I say not only do it on your terms, but if you work hard, play harder. If at any time it seems there is a change in pressure, ask yourself, what does God say about me? Grab your mask, adjust it on, and walk proudly in your purpose. We'll talk later, okay?